Rogues of the Black Fury, Episode 14. Rogues of the Black Fury, a novel, written and produced by Travis Heerman. This novel contains violence, adult language, and mature situations. Listener discretion is advised. For more information, please visit travisherman.com slash rogues. Special guest performer, Danielle McCarville. Chapter 21 Father, Javin said, sitting down on the edge of the bed. I have to tell you some things. Can you hear me? His father's ghostly pale face turned up, eyes bloodshot and dull from the numb leaf. Afternoon sun tried to pry through the draperies, but the heavy cloth allowed only a sliver to spill across the bed, across Javin's legs. Janice Woolstone nodded slowly. I know you cannot speak, so just listen. Javin had sent out Master Dentmere and the other physicians. Only the two blue dragons remained, standing on either side of the bed, silent and stoic. He knew better than to try to make them leave. A moment of doubt gave him pause. He knew these two men, or thought he did. Rolf and Gustin had been blue dragons as well. He was taking a chance, speaking in front of them but he had no choice. Father, you know I would never lie to you, yes? Janice nodded again. Javin leaned closer and lowered his voice. All is not well within these walls, Father. Something stinks. You sent Rusk to fetch back Bella, didn't you? Janice nodded again. While you were missing, the Lord Major General attempted to countermand and retract those orders. His hatred of Rusk is old, but in the last day I have seen ambition in him that is not worthy or honorable. Janice opened his mouth and took a breath. A raspy croak issued forth, but he relented, squeezing shut his eyes. But Rusk and his men have gone. They have left the rook's nest on your orders, not Terrell's. I failed the test, father. I'm sorry. He shuddered a heavy sigh. Had he truly been so disappointed? His father's hand reached over and squeezed Javin's. Tears glistened in the corners of his craggy eyes. Javin could hardly look into them because of the shame bearing down on the back of his skull, but he saw no sorrow in his father, only helpless frustration. Things have changed since yesterday. It seems every hour brings some new riddle. Terrell and all his spies are not equipped to unravel this mystery. Our armies are not equipped to strike a foe hiding so deep in the shadows. Janice nodded, squeezing Javin's hand tighter in affirmation. I'm going after Rusk, tests be damned. I don't think this is all a plot by the Farthy Priest Kings. Some other force is at work here. I know where to find the Black Furies. I'm going, and no one knows but you. I'm not coming back unless Bella is with me. Janice's eyes widened, then closed, and he nodded again. He mouthed a single word.
Javin regarded his wardrobe and the garments in it, his saddle pack, his weaponry. Everything he had, everything he had ever used, bore the stamp of House Wollstone. How could he travel unrecognized with such obvious emblems in full view? He could travel the length and breadth of Cusca, and those symbols would grant him hospitality and special treatment. But he might be traveling beyond Cusca. If he was not Lord Captain Javin Wollstone, scion of House Wollstone, who was he? The thought that his journey might lead to Fartha sent a tingle through him. Indeed, few Cuscans had ever seen the land of Fartha. In raging decades of war, neither side had ever managed to gain a foothold for long within the other country. If following Rusk took Javan to Fartha, he would have to travel in disguise, perhaps as a free city's trader. Evidence that he was a Cuscan would likely mean his death. He dressed himself in the robes he had worn the night before, when Joyce had so complimented him on his appearance. But he still bore the stamp of a noble officer. He would let his hair and beard grow out a bit, and maybe that would help him shed his identity. He would need common non-military riding boots, or long hours in the saddle would chafe his legs bloody. By land he could reach Yarburg in about a week. By sea, the journey was farther having to circle the Gilgameth Peninsula and fight unfavorable currents, but about the same duration. If he failed to find Rusk and the Black Furies in Yarburg, he would not be able to catch them. He did have a respectful purse full of suns and moons to ease his travels and obtain more nondescript accoutrements, with his pistol again happily at his side, his ammunition bag and powder flask, his broadsword, a purse full of coins strapped to his belly under his tunic, he departed his chamber, saddled Saltstone, and rode forth through the front gate of Tarnak Castle without a word to anyone. Outside of the gate, a voice called out, Hello! Is that you, Lord Wollstone? Javin drew reins. A familiar figure stood up near one of the smithies along the castle gate road. Tonin waved with one hand and brushed off his legs with the other. Javin turned Saltstone and approached the smithy where Tonin stood. The smith puttered and clanked about inside. What brings you here? Waiting for you. Why? You have the look of a man on a mission. What do you mean? Tonin gazed up and down at Javin for a long moment before he spoke. You're going after them. Damn his sharp eyes. No. Yes, you are. You're out of uniform, and you're wearing a travel purse under your shirt. I can hear it clinking. Why do you care? because I want to come with you. Out of the question. Why? Because I don't know you. And I do not know you. The real problem is that you do not trust me. I do not trust you either. You are noble. I am a commoner. And half farthy at that. My life means nothing to you, nor yours to me. Javin's jaw tensed. But becoming a black fury means something to me. Having it snatched away by a coward and a sluggard like Maggot does not sit well in my gut. So if you'll forgive me if I do not care about anything other than finding Rusk. I have sat outside this gate since yesterday waiting for you. And why should I let you accompany me? I can help you find him. How? I followed the Furies when they departed the Rook's Nest. I know how they're traveling and where they're headed. I already know where they're headed. But I know what they look like, and I can track them, just like I tracked you. Javin sighed. Conan was right. He was a commoner, but something about him told Javin he was different from most of them. <sighs> Very well. Do you have a mount? No. 
and I would like you to supply one. I have no money. Jamin suppressed a laugh. I call that bold talk for a little more than a bootless beggar. A bootless beggar who can fight and track and who knows how to find the men we're looking for. Buy me a fucking mount, if it please your lordship. Javin could not suppress the laugh in the face of Tonin's wry boldness and the twinkle in his eye. A few days ago he might have had the man put in the stocks to cure his insolence, but not today. Very well, we'll try to find you a mount, but I'll buy it for you only if it has enough fleas to drive a mangy jackal mad. Chapter 22 Bella's prison stank. She had not bathed in days. She had vomited several times. She tasted blood in her mouth, and the stench of it was thick in her swollen nose. Some of her teeth felt loosened. To make matters worse, her woman's time had come during the night, adding to the stench of blood within her prison. The blood, both fresh and dried, soaked the coarse fibers of her soiled shift moistening, stiffening the cloth, crusting her legs and dragging her further into despair. Her face was swollen so badly that her eye would hardly open. Her small, dark world had grown hazy and indistinct as she dipped in and out of waking and nightmare. Had she been imprisoned forever? No. Part of her knew that. She longed to stretch out her legs to stand, even though she feared that she would fall the next time she tried to stand. There was no more strength in her. At times, she wept. She saw the face of her mother, who looked upon her sometimes with loving compassion, sometimes with scornful disapproval. This ordeal would never have broken her mother. Lilla Woolstone had suffered months of crippling pain before she finally succumbed. But Bella was already broken. The next time they came to make her submit, to make her pray to their ancient prophets, the next time they came to beat her, would she have the strength to resist them? The question was ever in her mind. The hours passed into interminable emptiness, despair, and pain. The pain had driven her appetite into the dark corners of her body. They still brought her a few crusts of bread occasionally, and she chewed them mechanically without relish. The tough, chewy bread now hurt her sensitive teeth, and the taste of blood came anew into her last meal. The darkness of her confinement blackened and lightened into nightmares, until when the lock clattered and the door was flung open, she was not certain if she was awake or still dreaming. A dark hand reached in, snatched her foot, and dragged her out into the light. She blinked at the brilliance. She blinked at the brilliance, and her eyes teared against the light spilling down from the open hatch. Orange-painted clouds streamered the sharp azure square of sky, as if painted upon the heavens by the hand of Helion himself. A giggle bubbled out of her. Was she going mad? Was this how criminals felt on their way to the gallows? The sky was so beautiful. Time for your morning prayers, infidel whore. Rolf grumbled as he clamped upon her arm and dragged her to her feet. She stared at the sky. 
His hurtful words would not reach her ever again. He shoved her toward the steps, and she stumbled up them, enthralled by the most beautiful morning she had ever seen. As she came up on deck with the sea breeze brushing through her hair and ruffling her stiff clothing, and the sun warm on her face, the sailors paid her no attention, and she paid them none. The vague malevolence of Rolf's presence loomed behind her, pushing her once again toward the open door of the captain's cabin, where the prayer mat awaited. The brilliant disk of the sun rose above the dark ripple of land on the eastern horizon. The deep blue waves floated endless froths of golden foam, catching the sun, and the sky streamed with colors. Tears of joy streamed down her face. Yes, mother, it is the only way, she whispered. The golden coins that Helion's holy beaming cast upon the sea's crest could not diminish its fathomless mystery. Another day in the world, where children would be born and men and women would die and live despair and love. Another day of agony. Another day of fear. The air was cool and smelled sweet against her face, soothing the burn in her battered cheeks. Rolf grunted behind her. What did you say? A quick turn, a quick dart, and a leap into emptiness into the waiting arms of her mother. A shock of cold as the waves closed over her head. Her soiled shift billowed around her, her long, dark hair snaking around her head. The rumbling rush of the ship's hull cutting through the waves, bubbles exploding around her body, trailing upward as she sank, as she spread her arms, looking up into the rippling light, and waited for her mother to take her hand. The weight of the water bore upon her limbs, crushing against her chest, and the gloom rose up to embrace her from below like deep, dreamless sleep. Two more explosions of foam and bubbles above her, and two dark shapes emerging from the tumult, extended arms and desperate faces angling down toward her, legs kicking streams of bubbles behind them. Please, mother, hurry. Take me before they do. When a hand closed upon her wrist, it was not her mother's hand. She fought and kicked and tried to pull away, but the hand was like a thick, knotted noose, and it jerked her toward the light. Strangely, the closer the light became, the darker her vision grew, until all she saw was blackness. A gasp for breath exploded into her breast after the expulsion of a torrent of salt water from her mouth and nose. Two iron-hard arms released their grip around her belly. She tumbled down onto the hard wooden deck, water streaming from her hair and shift, and she collapsed onto her side, gasping. The seawater burned her wounds, burned her throat and nose. Rolf stood over her, gasping. Hands on his knees, water pouring off him to merge with hers. Water that had touched him now merged with hers and made her feel unclean. Sickened her. She lay on the deck, coughing and sobbing. But she looked up into Rolf's eyes, and in that moment she saw mortal fear in those cold, heartless depths. 
not fear for her life, but for his own. She had won. She had power over them. They dared not let her die, or their lives would be forfeit to whatever shadowy master pulled their puppet strings. And with that power, a shred, a glimmer, a tiny, hard, perfect kernel that would sustain her. Hope. Thank you for listening to Rogues of the Black Fury by Travis Heerman. If you enjoy the story, don't be shy. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. And don't forget to go to this podcast's homepage and click the donate button. Give whatever you like, but is $4.99 really too much to ask for this many hours of entertainment? Rogues of the Black Fury is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. I encourage you to copy it and give it away to all your roguish friends. Just don't change it or sell it, or the Black Furies will soon be coming after you.